So right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. They've got wall-to-wall Premier League football with games being played nearly every day. And with Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. If you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only and please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the athletic podcast all about Everton Football Club. I'm Greg O'Keefe. As ever, I'm joined by my colleague and fellow Everton writer, Paddy Boyland. And we're here to reflect on uh, Monday night's game at uh, Tottenham. Obviously, really disappointing, uh, a, st- a step backwards or really just treading water if you consider Everton's record um, in the capital and particularly in, uh, in North London against Spurs. Paddy was uh, evaluating the game and he's got some analysis ready to go on the site, but we'll pick the bones over that disappointing performance now, starting with, I guess, Pad. <laughs> it's not a new problem, but we're talking about the midfield again, aren't we? Yeah, it does feel as though when we were asked what we fancy writing about before and after games, that midfield comes up quite a lot. And I think that's just because if you analyse elements of this Everton side, Midfield is where they're found lacking most. Holgate and Keane, and kind of formally Holgate and Holgate and Mina forged quite good defensive, central defensive partnerships. And Coleman's now starting to come into his own a little bit at right back again. Bit of a renaissance from him. And obviously, we've all kind of waxed lyrical about the front two. It feels as though ever since Adrissa Gay left, we've we've highlighted the need for a number of things in midfield. I actually think that the move to 4-4-2, as we've written before, to be fair, I actually think that the move to 4-4-2 does not help Everton, and certainly injuries have not helped Everton in that part of the pitch. While you get more from the, the, the two up front, and I think they combine better in tandem, I think you do sacrifice some solidity in midfield, and it's obviously an area in which Everton are kind of restricted anyway when you look at some of the injuries in there. So it just seemed like a continuation of that theme, I think, if you look at where Everton lost this game, they they lost the game a very dull, drab, nil-nil really, if you look at the stats and, and you look at things on paper in terms of the numbers. They lost it because of a heavy deflection and not having the requisite elements in midfield, particularly to supply the the um, the front two. So I think in across the whole game, they only had six touches in the box um, and four of them came from Calvert-Lewin. Don't think if... Uh, if I'm right, I don't think Richarlison had one touch in the opposition penalty area. Um, and we've bemoaned kind of a lack of solidity in there. We've bemoaned the lack of an Adrissa Gay or even a Gabamin type as the enforcer. That was an issue as well. But I think what really found Everton lacking here was, was that after going a goal behind, was that lack of kind of creative onus, that lack of creative impetus. Who's going to create the chances? And who's going to supply the front two? I just, I didn't see it. I, I think so often it's on Luca Dean um, and whoever else is playing at right fullback to to create chances from crosses, and they were a bit kind of restricted here against some some good defenders um, in the in the Spurs side. So it just, yeah, just, just felt like one of those days where all the all the issues in midfield kind of came home to roost, 
And I don't think it'll be the last time we talk about this season. And it probably won't be the last time until Everton make at least one decent signing in, in that part of the pitch. It's been spoken about, hasn't it? You know that that's the one area that he needs to, in terms of summer recruitment, address first and foremost. Um, and if anything, the urgency for that only increases. And I know that the the sort of post COVID or it's not post COVID, is it? But anyway, the transfer market as is will be significantly affected by the economic situation. We understand that, but for Everton to try and progress next season under Ancelotti to maybe even try and keep paces with or try and keep on the heels of United and Chelsea and clubs like that, in theory, they're going to have to recruit in, in that area. Absolutely going to have to. And, you know, um, another frustrating thing from last night, which we'd spoken of in the advance, you know, you were looking at maybe writing about the how good the front two are in various, way, in various ways, rather. But again, some of the stats that you were telling me about before were just... Absolutely awful. I know you can read more about this in Paddy's piece, but the one that is pretty much everyone who's watching the game would have been aware of was that the uh, Everton only touched the ball in, in Tottenham's half six times in the game, and that speaks to what you were saying about the the fullbacks often, you know, being the only sort of avenue of attack and not having anyone to to, to essentially aim for. Uh, and then the quality of the deliveries was poor even when they did, and. Um, yeah, there's, there seem to be a number of issues emerging yesterday. That The midfield one is nothing new, but there were other problems, weren't there? Yeah, and I think you're right in saying that if Everton strengthened one part of the pitch this summer, um, it would be central midfield. It has to be central midfield, just because of how short they are, particularly in, in the centre of the park, in the engine room. Other issues though emerged and we, we've touched on a lack of creativity there. I, th- I think there is an awful lot of onus on Luca Dean, probably too much, even though he, he does well creatively for Everton. Um, and just, I, I just think more than anything, it's the links between the various parts of the pitch. So it's getting the ball off the goalkeeper as Everton do and playing that pass into a deep sitting midfielder who then plays the pass either wide or, or into the, um, into the attack. You, you look at, for example, um, Richarlison and, and Calvert-Lewin, and they're meant to be a partnership and they're meant to thrive off touches in the box, as we've said. Well, between them, they, they only had four and the team only had six in the Tottenham area. But between, between the two strikers as well, they only, I think it was only, um, one pass that they, um, exchanged throughout the whole of, whole of this game that that suggests to me that there was no supply line that there was obviously as we've said an absence of creativity and while there were other issues of course I think that's that's the thing when you go one nil down to a Mourinho side in particular that's the thing you 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 need you really need to work on because let's be honest the the dark arts were at work here when they it was it was I think Richarlison was fouled seven times Uh, only uh, Wilfred Zaha and Jack Grealish have been fouled more in a game across the whole of this season. He, was, he wasn't he was allowed to turn. They were going touch tight and, and, and kind of thumping him as soon as he got the ball. Um, Coleman and Dean were being forced to run down blind alleys. I think Tottenham just pressed Everton so well. And then even when Everton got through those lines, regressed into their shape so well that it was really hard. It, it effectively became as though Everton were playing like a sort of surrogate home side. They were the one having to kind of make the running and... We know that's what Mourinho's side likes to do, which is, I suppose, why it was so disappointing 
the the way the first goal was conceded, the way the only goal of the game was conceded, because you look back at the last two goals Everton have conceded, and in fact the only goals that Everton have conceded since lockdown, one of them is a clearance from Mason Holgate, which <laughs> which hits Kelechi Inacho on the head and somehow ends up in the back of the park end net, and this one is another <clears throat> it's another fortuitous goal for for the opposition. Um, I don't think LaCelso's shot is going anywhere near the goal uh, until it hits Michael Keane and rolls into the corner. I just I just felt a little bit sorry for him. I know collectively it was a blow and it meant that Everton were, were struggling uh, and toiling to, to, to get back into the match. But I just think for Michael Keane, he's been so good since football resumed. If there was one player that didn't deserve to happen to, it was probably him. Um, and sod's law it did. So, um, I think, I think more than anything, we, we, you could be guilty here of, of kind of overblowing this. And I have seen quite a lot of really vehement negative reaction. First of all, it was not a good performance. That, that's quite clear. Everton didn't do much particularly well in the game, bar kind of negating the threat of Son and, and Harry Kane. But equally, it was probably a game that if things had gone a different way, Everton would have come away with a, a pretty credible nil-nil draw and the European hopes would have kind of been semi-intact. So almost that, that huge slice of, of, of fortune for Spurs papers over their cracks and, and exacerbates ours. And I think maybe when we take a step back, we'll realise, yes, of course, there's work to do. And of course, it's a blow. But um, maybe it wasn't quite as bad by the numbers as as, as it looked on first glance. Hmm. Well, that's a more of a I'm not optimistic take than I think many will will be able to muster. But it's 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 a valid one. I think the context of our our record down there is what makes it worse, isn't it? But you almost get into like a it becomes quite a meta task to try and unpack all that because it really is a, a historic sort of. Um, a misery journey through the annals of Everton's in the Premier League history when you come to why we don't win against the, the top sort of six sides down in, at the, on the away, on our travels away games. Um, and that can, that can wait for another, another day. So if you thought Paddy did sound a bit upbeat there, wait till you read his piece. There's, um, there's some really alarming stats and insights into, into what went wrong for Everton there. It is well worth a read. Some of the things you just, you know, mind blowing in terms of, some of the detail he's looked at and what didn't happen uh, in very basic areas of the pitch that, make, that leave you, let's, let's just say, leave you under no illusion as to why we didn't win the game. Um, I urge you to go and read it. If you're not a subscriber, we're offering a 30-day free trial at the moment uh, for The Athletic. It's a limited offer. Um, why not give it a go? Uh, you just need to go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod to sign up. You'll get everything that me and Paddy write about the Blues uh, and across, you know, the Premier League, European football, world football, as the season reaches its conclusion. So go and have a look at that. It's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. Well, the games are coming thick and fast, aren't they, Pad? And of course, only the sort of 48 hours, we've got another game this time back at Goodison. Um, and it's, <laughs> what do we need? Oh yeah, a side that are in form, having just beaten Man City, Southampton are coming to, uh, to Goodison Park. Not going to be an easy game, is it? No, it's it's not, and it's it's interesting you mention a side in form there because actually, if Southampton hadn't won since Christmas, I'd probably be saying the same thing. Sod's law that Everton play a side doing so badly, you kind of know what happens next, kind of thing. But 
I caught a little bit of the game against Manchester City and I have to be honest, it was a very good win um, and it was a resolute defensive performance, but boy, did they ride their luck. Um, and I think even if you look at, if you're into things like expected goals, some of our listeners will be and, and I'm sure others won't. But in terms of expected goals, I think Manchester City created enough chances to have scored over three goals in this game and Southampton barely mustered enough to to, to score one. So it kind of shows that sometimes what you see in front of you is only half of the story. Um, and of, of course, there were positives in that Southampton performance. Of course, and that means they head into the game against Everton um, in kind of fine spirits. But that doesn't mean that they're necessarily a formidable proposition. I know from conversations we had with our Southampton correspondent, um, Carl Anker, he was talking about Southampton's main tactical issues coming against sides that play two up front, which is obviously a good omen as far as as far as Everton are concerned with with Calvert Lewin and Richarlison. As we've said, we just need to make sure that there's a more capable, a more able, and a more ready supply line to those two, so that they can show what they're all about. I just I just think we more than anything we need to see, particularly with Everton being at home, we need to see more front foot play. We need to see more. Kind of bravery in possession, um, taking the game to the opposition, and I think probably the only person that did that for long spells of the game against Tottenham was was Anthony Gordon. So for me, he's one that you look at and think he has to come back into the side. He can be that kind of creative attacking thrust that Everton have have lacked at times. Um, certainly, they did on on Monday night against Spurs. Um, so that that's a change you kind of you'd hope. And expect to see. Thought he did really well again against um, against Tottenham and, and prov- provided a bit of a spark. Um, but no, not an easy game. And I think the other thing here is that it's Monday, Thursday, Sunday, uh, which really tests fitness. It really tests squad depth. Uh, there will need to be a degree of rotation, you would think, to, in order to keep players fresh. I think part of the reason Tom Davis came in against um, Spurs on Monday night was just because. He was deemed to be fresher than some of the other some of the other lads who who just didn't make it. Um, so I think you would expect to see the odd change here or there. Maybe Bernard and Awobi um, are used interchangeably. Maybe there's a chance for Gordon, somebody like a Moise Keane, Jabril Sadibi, all the lads on the fringes. And then of course we're still waiting to hear as we record on Tuesday what what's happening with Mason Holgate and his. The knock that he picked up against Tottenham, so so maybe an opportunity there for Yerry Mina and Michael Keane to reprise their their partnership from the start of the season. It feels like feels like Ancelotti will need to use all his nous and all his savvy to to kind of rotate, keep players fresh, but also keep picking up wins to to keep those fading hopes of Europe alive. Almost Moise Keane's an interesting one. I, I just thought that it's time to give him give him a start and, and give him a, you know a sort of hour or so of a game to really. Show what an injection of fresh legs and his pace and directness can do. So maybe, uh, maybe we'll see some interesting selections on Thursday evening. Um, well, thanks very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back bef- uh, next week. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we'll leave you with an interesting interview that Paddy did with Luke Garbutt. Of course, left the club after 11 years last week. And Paddy had a chat with him, sat down and spoke about his time at Everton and the next step. Before we get into things, um, Luke, how are you doing? How is everything going for you? Yeah, good as it good as it could be uh, in lockdown, and obviously with everything that's been going on in the world, I'm just getting along with it and 
keeping myself ticking over fitness wise and then uh seeing what the uh the summer transfer window will be uh bringing for myself really and obviously being a an interesting seven days for yourself leaving Everton like we say after after over a decade at the club what was that like we'd, we'd obviously spoken a few months ago for for a piece we did on the site what was it like actually to to realize that you were no longer an Everton player yeah it was quite um strange to be honest with you um obviously I wanted to address my time at the club via social media and obviously it got got a lot of uh, backlash in terms of the whole uh manager situation with Carlo Angelotti yeah it was strange it was a little bit sad don't get me wrong for the last couple of years I've had it in my head that my time at Everton uh, is over and I'm trying to form a new chapter of my career so uh, from that point of view it wasn't something completely out of the uh, the blue. You obviously touched on uh, that reaction t- on social media, in particular, to to Carlo in the in the press conference last week. Were you surprised by some of the reaction to that? Because I, I know, kind of looking at your social, you you took it in kind of quite good good faith and, and kind of laughed it off. Were you surprised that, that that people took it in a in a certain way? Yeah, I was surprised, but then then again, I wasn't like that surprised because there's good and bad people out there on social media. Uh, there's always going to be mixed views and concerns um, on social media. So it wasn't something that I was terribly surprised at. But uh, from my point of view, uh, it was more sort of negligent on the club's behalf other than, uh, rather than Carlo, really, to be honest, because in, in reality, he's not going to know who I am. I've not been part of Everton uh, first team squad for a while now so uh, you know he should have been briefed going into that meeting that there was three players that are out of contract at the end of this season and then he would have been able to adapt himself accordingly to, to questions so uh, it's 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 one of those situations that I, I chose to see the funny side of it and move on really. Yeah I, I guess that's the thing isn't it obviously you've not worked with Carlo Ancelotti before I mean just wondering when when kind of your contract expired did you, did you have much conversation with people at Everton about leaving either kind of people like Marcel Brands who you've you've dealt with before or, or even just kind of former teammates and former former colleagues? To be honest with you um, Marcel Brands did contact me um, a couple of weeks before the 30th of June uh, just to kind of say you know um he respects my time at the club and um that I'm no longer contracted and not going to get a contract next season so he'd just like to thank my efforts uh for the football club and um and, and that was it really it was a short and sweet but um you know nice enough conversation to have um, it's not something that I'm completely alien to, like I just alluded to, because I knew I was on my way a few years ago. So um, from that from that point of view, it wasn't a surprise. But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's something that you know I need to take to heart. You know, that's football at the end of the day. I didn't get a contract renewal. It didn't quite work out at Everton, and I've just got to move on. Yeah, and it's interesting you mention. Marcel Brands there because lots of people speak very positively about him. I mean, just judging from your reaction there and the, the message he sends, I guess those personal touches even give 
given the news that he was kind of relaying to you, those personal touches make a difference. And uh, what what was he like to deal with kind of across your time at, at the club? He was obviously there for for a number of years as well. Yeah, um, yeah, he was. He, you know, he's a he's a nice enough guy. Um, he obviously has a lot more pressing matters than and than dealing with my situation. But like you say, the personal touches and 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 having the time and decency to call me uh, was was nice. Um, but yeah, you know, he's uh, he's a guy that's high up at the football club, and he's got you know other things on his on his mind and on his plate other than dealing with me. So uh, all I can say is, is that, you know, I respect that he gave me a call just to, to thank me and wish me well in the future. And any concerns or queries I have moving forward, he's always on the other end of the phone. So that was a nice touch and, and uh, I thank him for that. I was having a look to some of the reaction um, to the piece I did and some you obviously retweeted it yourself last week again and kind of comments came in to, to, to both of us really about your time the, the overwhelming message was that kind of fans look back with a lot of positivity at your time at the club and, and wished you well have you been touched by the response from from supporters given that I suppose you haven't been around the first team picture now properly for, for a good while it seemed like there's kind of a lot of goodwill out there to, towards you given what you'd done early in your time at Goodison the fans were brilliant towards me uh, especially when I was in and around the first team in a proper part of the football club and yeah I am you know really happy with the with the response um, and the comments that have been given to me uh, over the last couple of days I think the fans did really take to me and, and I had a, a good relationship with them. So from that point of view, it, that's that's great. But then on the other hand, it's a shame that it never came together and, and I had a, a, a good and fruitful uh, future in Evans' first team because you know I think that bond would have got stronger. We've touched on it before, Luke, and in particular the interview we did during lockdown, but for kind of new listeners and people kind of touching on your story again for the for the first time, you, you say there that maybe if things had gone in a different way, um, the situation might have been different for you at Everton. What do you look back on now with kind of with regret with regards to that? Why do you why do you think that maybe it didn't work out in the way that you'd perhaps hoped, and and even supporters had envisaged, judging by the the reaction to you leaving? I don't know. There's so many different variables as to why it didn't work out, but I've got to look at myself and did I deliver and 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 perform to the levels that I know I can do at the right times. Um, was it politics? Was it going out on loan at the wrong time? Was it making, you know, the right decisions, uh, injury, loss of form? There's so many different factors as to why things, you know, didn't work out. But yeah, it, it's something that I reflect on and try and in the future build upon that through those experiences to try and make myself a better player and a person. So to answer your question, I don't really know how it all transpired. Really, it was quite it was quite weird. One moment I was completely in the picture. I was the, I was playing first team games, and then I signed my five year deal, and then went on loan to Fulham. And that summer was just a complete contrast. And then that's when things started to go south. Remember from speaking to you that you you kind of had a, lot, a move to it was Bournemouth I think wasn't it while you were yeah. away with England 
under-21s that didn't quite work out. Got the news from Bournemouth that um, they weren't going to be signing you after they'd been promoted and you, and you kind of went to Fulham and picked up an injury early there. I mean, remember when we had that discussion, you kind of pinpointed that as kind of quite an an important moment in, in, in the process. I mean, we're kind of a couple of months further on now. Is that something you keep on coming back to as, as being one of the things maybe if you'd stayed at Everton, a chance might have arisen anyway, given kind of Leighton Baines was, was picking up injuries at that point? Looking back on it, it was a massive turning point in, in the way in which my career has panned out to date, really. So um, as I've matured and got older, um, it's something that I look back on and I have an element of regret, but then I also, moving forward in my career, I don't want to look back at things and go, well, if I'd have done that, then this would have happened. Because, it, you know, that that's the decision I made at the time and I can't take that back. But, um, yeah, it, it is a shame. And all I ever wanted to do was obviously try and get into the event first team and, and create a platform for myself to be able to give myself the best possible chance to, you know, succeed for, for Everton. At that time, Everton were kind of flying high under Roberto Martinez and, and went on to have a very good 13-14 season as well, picking up a record points total. Leighton Baines at that time was obviously more or less at the, at the peak of his powers. He's obviously a, a pertinent issue now for, for Everton fans, given that he's not signed a new deal. What was it like to work with, with somebody like him and, and be kind of learning from him day in, day out? Did you, did, you see it as, as, did you see him as somebody you could go to for advice and learn from? Or was it more kind of, I, I want to have a shirt, I want to show that I can be even better potentially than he was? No, it was a mixture of the two, really. To be honest, I respected him. And he was a great guy. He was a good guy in the, the change room. Everybody loved him. And I looked up to him for the way he played because he was a brilliant footballer. But then on the other hand, you know, I, I wanted to challenge him. I wanted to take his place. So, um, you know, at, at, at that time I was performing well and I felt as though I had more than enough chance to be able to kind of play ahead of him, possibly, because I was playing well at that time. And I just thought, I didn't get as much chance as I thought I should have. I know around that time, obviously, you, you started to get games and, and kind of pretty regular minutes in, in cup competitions at first, playing in the in the Europa League and in a number of kind of notable wins. Now that you've you've left the club, I'm sure you've had time to, to think back on, on some of the kind of fonder memories. What do you come back to most from your time? What are the kind of the key standout performances or kind of milestones that, that you encountered that, that you look back on now with kind of real pride? Well, I think like we uh, we said a couple of months ago on the interview uh, that the whole Martinez reign was something that I look back on with real great memories, really. Just because I felt such a part of the football club and I felt as though I had a massive future there. So the European Knights, my Premier League debut at Newcastle, uh, the Wolfsburg away win, uh, the Young Boys uh, game, yeah. So there was there was plenty of ups in in that time, and it was just a great time to be a part of the squad because the 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 team was playing such a brand of football, which was exciting the fans and stuff, that it it felt as though the club was on the up. So um, that's that's what I take most out of my time at the football club, really. 
remember from from our conversations that obviously there, there was a core of kind of young players coming through all at the same time. Ross Barkley was doing well. Lukaku had just signed. You had John Stones as well and, and, and various others. You, you touch on it there, but do you almost look back on that now as, as kind of a maybe a golden period in, in your career and, and for the club insofar as it felt like kind of maybe anything was possible? Everton were really a, a club on the up. And the second part of that is, were you then surprised maybe that they didn't kind of push on even further and, and, and maybe do even more and potentially even win something? Because you look at the games against Wolfsburg, they had De Bruyne, Perisic, all these all these top players. And Everton thumped them over both games. It was I think it was 4-1 at Goodison and, and 2-0 away. So is, is there an element of regret there as well that, that maybe you didn't quite kick on and, and kind of get, get that bit of silverware or push on into, into the Champions League? Yeah, I mean, I've touched on it before. Like, I definitely think there was an element of a missed opportunity because, like you say, we were a young squad. We had a lot of young players that were doing really well at the time. and then, But we had a good blend, so we had good experience alongside that. Um, and we were playing a brand of football that was was coincided with the way in which the team was going and, and the players were suited to that brand of football. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a shame that we never kicked on and tried to win a trophy and, and possibly challenge for uh, Champions League places and stuff because I felt at the time that that was the way it was going. Were you surprised by, by how things worked out for, for Roberto? I know I know from our conversations before, he was kind of a, he was a really interesting figure and he did a lot of good at the club and he made players feel 10 foot tall. What did you make of kind of how things came to an end for him? Were you surprised that somebody that has, has since gone on to manage Belgium wasn't really able to kind of keep his job and, and, and persevere at Everton and, and kick the club on in the way that they maybe would have wanted? From my personal point of view, like I only had positive things to say about him. However, when I went on loan to Fulham in his final season, when he lost his job, I can't comment on what happened uh, inside the club internally for things to become untenable and for him to lose his job so I can only comment for the two previous seasons that I was involved in and playing under him that uh, I only seen things potentially going in the right direction but then obviously when I went out on loan I didn't know what happened in that season and there must have been a lot of things that did happen and went on behind the scenes that eventually made it untenable for him to to carry on but it was a shame because he was someone that I loved playing for and, and I had a good relationship with but bringing it back to to the present day Luke obviously you, you've had a kind of pretty successful season with with Ipswich on a personal level um, scoring goals and playing in a number of different positions even slightly further up the pitch I believe um, what's what do you think's next for you obviously you you're a free agent and it's not particularly the easiest market in which to, to find a new club. First of all, how are, how are things going on, on that front and, and kind of what what are you kind of looking at as a, as a kind of a suitable next step for yourself? Well, it's difficult really. I mean, like you say, it's a difficult market to be, to be a free agent, but all I can do is let my, my agent do all that side of it and I've just got to make sure that I'm in the right shape uh, physically to go into a football club. Um, but alluding to the Ipswich season and and how well I've done uh, on a personal level, yeah, it was it was a good solid season. I 
managed to play a lot of games, um, develop a, a consistent run of games uh, along with performances. So I feel good going into this summer that I, I can get a move that's right for me and um, it'll be a good club that fits the way in which I want to play and, and I fit the way the club wants to move going forward, really. So it's still early days in the transfer market. So I've just got to sit tight and see what happens, really. Luke, I uh, appreciate you joining us um, and best of luck for uh, whatever comes next for you. Mm-hmm.